I'm Brandon Steiner, and this is Unplugged with Brandon Steiner. Welcome. We are here for another a beautiful morning and uh, talking with a really interesting character. We're really getting into the definition of Unplugged with this next guest. Wrote a book, Life as a Sport. His work with some of the top athletes uh, in baseball, football, um, done a ton of stuff with the New York Mets, now with the New York Giants. I always learn something or think about something differently when I talk to this gentleman. So welcome, uh, Jonathan Fader. You can pick up his book, Life as a Sport, and uh, we're going to pick up a few things in this conversation, I'm sure, above and beyond the book. How are you today? I'm pumped, man. Listen, it's same here. I always pick up something from you. Because you're, you're a guy who embodies what I talk about in life as sport, just your enthusiasm and excitement for things. So I'm, I'm pumped to talk to you today, as I always am. I, I think the first, well, thank you. And uh, how hard is your job and why? I mean, why, why, how'd you get into this? I mean, you know, it's just, with anything, it's as hard as you make it. So, you know, what I do, right, is I'm a mental conditioning coach. I'm a sports psychologist working with athletes and high performers. But, you know, your question reveals it all, Brad. And how hard is it? It's as hard as I make it. You know, the same, the same thing with any athletics. A friend of mine, Josh Lifrak, who wins, works with the championship-winning Cubs, says to be a champion, simply be a champion. We make it hard. And we make it hard in the way we think about things and the way we react to things. So part of my job is simplifying things for people and for athletes to be able to look at their performance in a different way. So I guess if you're on the field and you got 80,000 people and millions of people watching, you can... In your mindset, remember when you were just playing high school and nobody was at the game, or you can get caught up in the fact of all these people looking and everything else. It just is it really that simple? In a weird way, it is. I mean, you know, so what's simple about it is that stress is completely contextual. What I mean by that is everybody's experiencing stress. You at, at your job, when you're a salesperson, you're experiencing stress around parenting your kids. People in the military experience stress. We all have the same brains and the same hearts. So stress is universal. How we respond to it, though, depends on the person. And the people that are able to achieve and get the best results are the people that have a really, really refined way, a really practiced way at responding to stress. When it comes up, they don't wait for it to come and say, oh, you know, I'll see how I do. They know how they're going to respond to it, and they've practiced it. And, you know, most elite athletes have found a pretty sophisticated way to do that. But, as I say, you can always get better at it. You can always get better at how you manage your stress in business, in, in sports, in life. Something that caught my attention in your book, and you talk a lot about this, coaches. What's your message to coaching? A lot of people listening, coaching their kids, coaching employees. How important is coaching in helping manage stress for employees or for your players and that sort of thing? How important is that dynamic? Well, you know, let me tell you a story about this because I think that for me um, – one of the things that informed my practice is, you know, many years ago I was in a, in a clubhouse and I was in this locker room and this player saw me just really trying hard to, to teach a couple rookie players a particular concept about how to basically do self-talk, how to message themselves. And I was doing all right, but they weren't fully engaged at the time. And this veteran player came up to me and said, Fader, listen, you know, in order for people to care what you know, they got to know that you care. And that was really impactful for me. Right? Because I was going in there trying to get results. I was going in there trying to, trying to teach and trying to help people get better. And that's, that's my job, just like your job to make sales, just like your job to, to be a better parent, all the things that we try to do in life. But fundamentally, you can't do any of that without a human connection, really understanding who the person is and, and what they want and why they want it. I think about that as kind of being 80%, 80% engagement. 
80%, really connecting to the person in front of you and understanding who they are as a human, a high performance athlete or whatever, because at the end of the day, we all are human. And to be able to connect, and then that other 20% is trying to teach them something, trying to sell them something. And that's really important for coaching as it is for any other aspect of, of helping people in life. You see commercials doing that more, more of a story than the sell as opposed to just, hey, you know, go buy this beer. It's cool. And there's some naked girls with their boobs sticking out Buy the beer. Now it's more of a connection uh, to the to the people they're trying to sell it to. No self-talk. Question. You mentioned self-talk, which I know that I'm a huge talker to myself. Anybody that knows me knows I'm constantly talking to myself. They'll see me walking down the street. What do you say? Like, what's your self-talk like? It's it's constant questioning about you know a decision I made or I'm thinking about what I what I want to do uh, the next couple hours or I'm constantly thinking about maybe somebody I may have affected in a, in a conversation I had recently and did I handle that right and kind of rethinking I'm very big on self analysis I think the best person the best person to improve you is you no question you know I mean so first of all I mean you know we're constantly messaging ourselves and. Some people say, well, what makes confidence? You know, these players are super confident. And I say confidence is the sum of the thoughts you have about yourself, right? Your confidence is really what you're messaging to yourself. Confidence is the sum of the I thoughts tweet that, that, that out, man. Yeah. That's strong. Tweet because it's it. true. I mean, you're in a contest, even in a negotiation. You're in a full conversation with yourself. No question. You're like, Wondering. oh, no, did I do that great? You know, people don't realize. People, this is what people I just realize. want to meet the person I've been talking to for the last 57 years. I'll introduce you. It's Brandon right here. <laughs> You know, I mean, is it two people though? It's it, it, hey, listen, you're about two things, man. It, it has to be two with you. It can't be just one. You know, I think the thing about this, man, is it, it's like this. It's like you know, we don't realize what kind of animals we are. We're thinking animals. It's normal to talk to yourself. It's normal to doubt yourself. It's normal to be self-reflective. That's what we are. That's what separates us from every other animal, right? We have this perception of ourselves, but it gets in the way. And, you know, to learn how to master that, to learn how to say, because I always ask athletes, like, who's the most important person you talk to? And they say, oh, my, my mom, my, my girlfriend, and my wife, my, my, my partner, whoever it is, uh, the coach. I'm like, no, it's you. You, when, at the end of the day, when you're on that sales call, when you're on the field, wherever it is, whatever it is you're doing, life is a sport. And you are the person who's out there competing. And so those people aren't going to be out there with you. It's going to be you. And the messages that you learn and the messages that you teach yourself are the ones that are going to carry, that you're going to carry into your performance space. So the more that you learn that and the more that you learn not only to change your self-talk, but to react differently when things go wrong and how you message yourself, it's crucial, man. It's crucial. Well, how does fear play into all this? Because if you're talking to yourself and you're a little nervous, and rightfully so, I mean, there's a, a big promotion or you're presenting something that's huge or you're trying to make a big sale. Yeah. You got to be fearful to come back to your office and know that you didn't get that business or you lost that business. Well, you've been, let me, let's break it down. Okay. So you talk about, you said the word nervous, right? Let's break it down. Talk about, let's, let's think about, you know, you've coached tons of sales professionals in your life and got people to be really effective in the sports memorabilia business and in many businesses. What do you mean? What are these people? What is nervous? What are they, what are they experiencing? They're experiencing uh, anxiety. They're what do you exper- mean? Like break it down. Like what anxiety does that mean? Anxiety mean they're getting overhyped about things. They start talking fast, thinking way too fast. Um, they're overblowing the whole thing up proportion because they're thinking if they don't win this piece of business, maybe they're not going to make as much money. Maybe they're, you know, they had sent their eyes set on making the commission they were going to make if they made that sale. Absolutely. So what you're talking about there, the biggest, the biggest problem about performance too is how we deal with stress and what we call anxiety. Now, I don't really believe in anxiety. I don't believe in it. Really? Yeah, I don't believe in it. What I believe in is physical changes in your body and worry. 
thoughts and behaviors. Once you say I'm nervous, oh, I'm an anxious person, I'm anxious, right? that creates a whole new meaning about it, right? So what I recommend is that people look at it and they say, oh, I'm having this physical feeling right now. That's what I'm feeling, right? My heart rate's up. Or I'm having these thoughts in my head, right, that are racing. Because then that allows you to do something. What you said is blowing things out of proportion. That's very common. I talk about it, you know, and, and a lot of uh, what I write about in Life is Sport is that there are kind of two things that people do in their minds. Number one, they jump to conclusions. And number two, they blow things out of proportion. And what you need to learn to do to perform at your best is to put things in perspective, right? That's really what we do is we put things in perspective and examine the evidence. So, yeah, these are normal human things. That Hold on, I got to gotta rescope that. I'm, yeah. I'm re, I'm re, it's... My thing about worrying is worry about what's about to happen and deal with what just happened. Right. Worry about what's about to happen. And yeah, and I'm in my mind, I just say, you know, for me, it's about saying, what can I control? Right. So that's the thing. I can't control what just happened. But to just say, I'm not going to worry about it, you need a plan. You know, you really need a plan about what you're going to do because those thoughts are going to creep back in. Because worrying is probably like the, one of the number one killers in this in this country. No question. But it's not just the worry. It's how you worry. It's how I worry. It's how you worry. Of course you're going to worry. Like that, You can't fight off worry. It's a human nature. You know, We were built to worry. If we didn't worry, we wouldn't survive. Fear, another way to think about fear and anxiety or worry or all these aspects of what kept us alive. We needed to think about what was coming. We needed to think about what predator was around the corner. That's how we evolved. And those of us that didn't do that, we're not around here. We're not, you know, your, your long line of successful people that led you to, to develop this business are because you come from warriors. The warriors didn't make it, man. But sometimes that worry gets in the way. And also what I say is don't worry about worrying. Sometimes we start worrying and then all of a sudden we're worrying about being worried. Learning how to respond to those thoughts. Learning how to relax. Looking at relaxation as a practicable skill. Learning about thinking about yourself as a practicable skill. We don't do that, man. We just wait till, it get, well, till the shit hits the fan, basically. We wait till it gets bad. And then we work on our mindset. No. It's about working on your mental climate every day. Right? You don't, like, you, you know. Mental climate? Elaborate on that. What's mental climate? Yeah. So your mental climate is, if you think about strength and conditioning, right? You think about what, what your physical state is, like how you're feeling, right? So what do we do? We go to the gym, right? We do squats. We, uh, we do physical conditioning. My belief is that, you know, mental fitness is really all, most of the time now reactive. We only do something when we're feeling terrible, right? When we're, all of a sudden something's going wrong at home or all of a sudden something's going wrong at work. But really right now, what, what things are moving towards is this idea of mental conditioning, that your mental climate is the state, your mental state from, you know, during the day. And what are you doing to improve it? Like think about it as a fish tank, right? You got this fish tank in your head. Okay. And the fish tank um, has an ideal pH, not too acid, not too base. Everything you add to that fish tank is going to balance or put it out of balance, right? So you drink a cup of coffee, you're a little bit balanced, right? But, you know, maybe, maybe you didn't really deal with that stress in the right way. That's going to debalance you. Maybe you didn't actually pay attention to feeling how you're going to express gratitude or thankfulness or kindness. Maybe you're not meditating. What are the things you can do? And it doesn't take much. My philosophy is even five to ten minutes a day, five to ten minutes a day of making an impact on your mental climate, on your mental state, can be revolutionary. Not only for your success, the results you're looking for, but also in your enjoyment and satisfaction in your life. You've been around a lot of athletes. That, by the way, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm probably going to have to go cut what you just said up 
and, and that's a, a, almost a separate blog in itself just because that's probably one of the most important things I've heard in a while because I know I'm a stressful guy and I know it's starting to take its toll on me and I see it around others as I'm getting older. But changing the subject for a minute, Jonathan, you've been around a lot of locker rooms, a lot of players. If you were to put something in a bottle that you automatically can get every player to drink that you were involved with, what is the difference between the great teams, the great players, and the not so good and the not so great? It's a wonderful question. Um, I mean, it's worth just sitting down and talking to you for that question. I think fundamentally, Brandon, that great teams, great people have a why to play for. I mean, really, the, the people that uh, are the best, they really, you know, a lot of people, so if you break it down into what and how and why, I mean, most, play, most people know what they're playing for, what they're selling for. A lot of people don't know how, right? Which means, what are the things I actually control? If I want to make a sale, if I want to hit a home run, what are the things I control? But then also really the why, profoundly, what's the intrinsic motivation for why you're doing it? Um, and that the best leaders on fields and the best leaders in, in boardrooms are the ones that also can really be transparent in that, can be honest and fearless about talking about what they're experiencing when appropriate, can tell a team what they're struggling with, right? Because everybody, every single person experiences stress and everybody doubts themselves. That's the been, you know, I'll tell you, I don't know if this goes in the bottle, but that's been one of the lessons I've learned. I, you know, I've worked with, with greats in, in every sport, and I, I can tell you that every single person doubts themselves on some level. We so all, confidence is really important? Yeah, but you know, it's, it's really, it's not even confidence, it's how you deal with doubt um, and how you deal with, with those stresses, as you said. So the, the doubt you deal with is the strength of your why? I think one of the ways that you deal with it is the strength of your why. One of the ways you deal with it is you you learn. Everybody says, okay, you know what? Be comfortable being, get comfortable being uncomfortable. That's great advice. But how? How do you do that? You got to have a way to do that. For me, it's a couple things. And this probably would go into the bottle too. For me, the how is about having a practice of gratitude. You know, looking at gratitude as a practicable skill. You know, every day before I put my kids to bed, they, and they say to me what they're grateful for every single day. And it's a custom that I learned from my parents, right? And so that changes their view of the whole day. That changes my view of the whole day. It's a practice of kindness. You know, you're, you, this is something that you have in your routine too in, in looking for ways to, to be kind because everything is a perspective. And what I say to athletes when we're developing a way to help their mental climate is whatever happens off the field, you're gonna bring onto the field. Guaranteed. And guaranteed. And so that's part of the bottle. Because a lot of people say, you know, that's me out there, but now when I'm here, that that the light switch goes. That's and crap. That's bullshit. That's bullshit. I mean, you know, there's an element of that that there are certain people that are good at shutting it off, but you got to be able to balance the outside uh, to some extent, and to say to yourself also, you know, not do what we talk about in other forms of psychology, the abstinence violation effect or the screw it effect, right? Which is, if something goes a little bit wrong, don't give up. That's the biggest challenge. In Do you find a lot of people doing that? Absolutely. I call it in my- Even in my, athletes? Absolutely. I mean, on a professional level? No question. No wow. question. Wow. No question. And the way it happens is, um, you know, I call it the three cookie effect in my book, right? So picture yourself. It's Thanksgiving, right? You walk downstairs to, the, to, your, um, to your kitchen and, you know, it's just full of food, but your eyes go to this box of, you know, cookies. And you open the row, uh, box of cookies, and there are three rows of cookies right in the box. And you see, you look in there, right? And you say, okay, here in the first row, it's full, full of cookies. 
Second row is a few cookies. And the third row, there's just one single cookie. Which one do you eat? The single cookie. The single cookie. Everyone eats a single cookie. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now you broke the rule of no cookies, right? You were trying to eat cookies. Now you broke the rule. So now, all right, you, you ate one cookie. Now, now maybe I'll have a couple. Which do you go for? Do you have two? You got two on the second row, and then a full row in the third. Yeah, row. I'm gonna knock out the two. Knock out the two, right? Yeah, You're not gonna go. You don't want to mess up that beautiful, full, symmetric roll of cookies. I'm gonna get there eventually. You're though. definitely gonna get there. <laughs> that is the abstinence violation effect. Once you've messed up your rule, if you say, you know what, I'm not gonna blow my cool in this game, but then you blow your cool a little bit. If you don't know about the abstinence violation effect, the screw it effect, and you don't have a way to make sure that a lapse in your rule doesn't become a relapse where you give up entirely, you're screwed. And so that's what we really teach athletes about that is that, you know, it's not about success every time. It's about learning how not to give up mentally. It's, it's kind of what you, with your diet. You know, you go on a diet. Absolutely. You have a bad day. I don't think that it's the end of the world, but it's when the day turns into two and three. No question. Instead of staying firm, say, I'm, I'm back on track. I'm focused. That was just a bad day. That's not me. Tomorrow, I'm, I'm back to me the way I want to be. That's exactly but most right. people turn a bad day binge day into a binge week exactly right right it's with everything i mean you know to use your example about well, dieting but you know even it's like a practice like i work on with athletes like meditation right so mindfulness meditation is huge but you can't just teach an athlete or some anyone meditation you have to give them a way to stick to their behavior many athletes will tell you yeah i'm doing mindfulness i mean it's clear for everyone from lebron james to oprah is into mindfulness it's being huge in in sports and life the problem is, though, is uh, let's talk about me. So I have a busy life, like many people listening to this podcast. You clearly have a busy life, you know, doing a lot of activities. And there's going to be a day where you're not going to do it. So what I tell athletes is, look, it's fine to miss a day. Let's just make it about not missing two days. Right? That's when the alarm balls go off if you miss two days. Right? So you can always get back to your plan. Because what sometimes people do in their lives is they say to themselves, well, God, I, I haven't been to the gym now I feel shameful. Now I feel embarrassed. Now I don't want to do it. And, you know, every day that builds up against your your plan or your behavior, it starts to become something that you don't even want to look at. So you're going to push it away and focus on things that, you know, are in front of you. And so helping people to realize that if you have a plan to face that abstinence violation effect, um, that screw it effect, you're going to be much better off. That's smart. I mean, that, that's so on the money. And you see it happen on the field. Like, a, I mean, how does a player strike out four times in a game? Perfect example. Like, you can't, I can't imagine that uh, somebody on that level, unless they've gotten off of their game and unless they've lost their confidence for that particular afternoon. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it goes back to, remember we were talking about being nervous. It's how you think about it. So, you know, I've talked to so many. There's some standouts in my mind. I mean, talking to Dave Winfield stands out in my mind. Why is um, that? Because, you know, what Hall of Fame baseball player, and what he told me, and I, I read about this in Life of Sport a little bit, is, you know, he talked about slumps. So what you're talking about, let's talk about a slump, right? Everybody yeah. faces a slump. You face it in baseball. You face it in every sport. You certainly face it in life, right? There are going to be times where no marriage, matter Marriage, friendships, oh God, marriage, everything. Work, no question. Everything. A lot of how you feel about those times is dictated by how you think about it. So let's go back to Winfield. You know, what he said was to me, look, when I was in a slump, right, I just thought of it as a period of adjustment, I just thought of it as a statistically acceptable variation. Now, break that down for a minute. Think about what that means, right? When he's having bad results, he's not making it mean something about himself or what the future holds. He's just saying, okay, these are unwanted consequences. Let me focus on what I control here. 
And so I've found that in my life, when things aren't going well for me, I, how I think about it really is going to determine how I behave. And how I behave is going to determine what my results are coming back from certain negative consequences. So I work really hard on keeping my mental climate clean and um, adaptive. I really try to look at things, you know, when I'm when I'm have a something a stress in front of me to say, hey, what can I learn from this? Hey, what's the exciting part about this for me? Um, what's what's a part of this that I really control, and how can I work on that and not spend time working on the things that I don't control? Jonathan, life's messy. I mean, life's life's a bitch sometimes, and life's great. You know, life's a beautiful thing. What do you say to people though I mean, that are busy? How much time should you be spending on this and your mental climate? You're, you're just you know keeping yourself and, and recognizing that you're on track, off track. How much time do you spend on this if you're just somebody who's, you know, got a busy life, got some kids, got a family, got a job? How much time can you spend on this? You know, it's hard. Um, that's that that's definitely a challenge. Right? It's a challenge to incorporate things like this. What I find is, try to come up with a routine that you like. Find something that you enjoy doing to work on your mental climate. So, you know, for me, what's really been uh, changed my life is things like just getting a, a, a treadmill for my office to put under my desk. Um, you know, actually having an attachment to put on the conference table so we could play ping pong on it, right? Finding things you could do every day. What I try to do every day is just walk around and make contact with people on the team. And for example, have like what I call an affirmation walk, right? I just try to go around and point out things that are going well that people are doing. And be careful about that neurological center. You're, you're familiar with that neurological no, center when you no. give people compliments? It's called the bullshit meter, right? So when you go around to give your affirmations, make sure they're based on fact. They're not gonna- They're authentic, They're authentic. They're, you're pointing out things that can't be disagreed. You're pointing out a fact that you observe about something that someone did, some kind of idea that they put out there, the way it affected others, or also what I call is repurposing compliments. When you hear a compliment, make sure that you take it directly to the person and tell that other person the positive thing that you heard about them. So these things really change your mental climate because you're, you're redistributing that kind of wellness in, in the place that you work. The other thing I say is just take some minutes for yourself. It doesn't even matter how you do it. People are like, should I use Headspace? Should I use this? Those are great. Take some time for yourself every day. It can be as little as three minutes to close your eyes and quiet your mind. And it doesn't even matter if the whole time your mind's racing. Just take a few minutes to just focus on your breathing every day. Forget about fancy words like meditation. Just take some time to quiet that busy mind. That's true. We got to close on something that you brought up, a good story. And I want you to tell it, you know, because you have two kids and you had given your daughter a time out. Which we never talk enough about parenting, and God, we're all screwing up our kids, I'm sure. But, and you know, there's some parent, some great parenting out there. But I thought you brought up a good story. Can you share it? And, and let's close on a little bit of a parenting tip. I'd be happy to look. I mean, I think you know, parenting is the art of screwing up less. And uh, you know, for me, one of the funniest things is you know, my younger daughter has this habit of torturing my older daughter by kissing her. Uh, which you'd, you'd think wouldn't be such a torture, but kids find a way to do it, right? And so she kept kissing her and kissing her. I said, listen, you got to stop that. It's bothering your sister. No avail. So I said, listen, you know, do it again, and you're going to get a timeout, 
or I'm trying to stick to that kind of way of, you know, of uh, consequences. And, and so, you know, she does it again, of course, and I, I give her time out. And now, now, listen, I'm, I'm a psychologist. I should know how to do this, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> my heart rate's up. I'm, I'm pumped, you know, and I'm frustrated with her. And so I pick her up and I take her to the timeout, right? And I sit her down on the timeout. And meanwhile, as I'm taking her over, I'm explaining to her, listen, you can't do that to your sister. That's really not fair. She doesn't treat you like So I'm telling her all the reasons why. And I sit her down there. And when she comes out of the timeout, two minutes later, I say to her, hey, listen, so why did you get a timeout? What, what happened? So, you know, I was trying to teach her a lesson and have her talk it through with me. And she looks at me and she says, because you were mad? So, you know, that story tells me a lot about how we talk to other humans, right? A lot of times we're so frustrated. We want to teach people a lesson. We want to communicate and coach them. We, we get mad at them when they don't do what we want. But really the optimal environment for learning something is true connection, listening to the person, understanding what's making it difficult for them. And then and only then are they usually willing and able to really truly learn how they can change whatever it is that you're trying to help them with. Jonathan, it's been great. Life is a sport. Underneath uh, this pod will be a link to your website. If anybody has any questions for you, just click on it. I'm sure you answer everything. Um, and whenever I'm with you, you always seem to answer everything. So thanks for your time. This is great. Life is a sport, which is, I've been saying it for years. You finally put it into a book. Saying it, you live it, man. Come it's on, you true. live it. I mean, you live it. So, so, so much similarities, though, isn't it? I mean, it's just you live really it. the same. You live it. You play hard. I mean, I, I see you here with your team. I just see how you live life. Um, and whenever I'm around you, I feel like you're living the principles in this book, which are to engage, to really enjoy it. Don't just focus. I mean, look, you've had a lot of great results, but what you've also done is found a way to really stay satisfied and enjoy what you do. And that's a practice. And I think it's one that's, that's yielded a lot of results for you. I've got a nice long list of some screw-ups too, though, by the way. Thanks for joining us on Unplugged. We're coming back to you for another one soon. And click on the link if you want to talk to Jonathan. And if you want to buy the book, go to Amazon. Life is a sport. Hey, thanks a lot, Brandon.